Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. Uh, I'm Simon Sweetman, I'm the host, and this is episode 68. Uh, I recorded this one a little while ago, and I've just sort of been... Um, just sort of been hanging on to it. I don't know why, just to space them out. But this, I, I love this conversation because um, I got to talk to this guy's a, a writing hero of mine, uh, Colin Hogg, and uh, a lot of you will know him as you know one of the first and 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 best sort of rock writers in the country. A guy who got to to you know party with the rock stars and and soak up all that record company money when it existed and go on the junkets and meet the famous international rock stars and and, and uh, all of that sort of stuff. But he's, he's written very widely. He's written uh, a lot of journalism across a lot of subjects. He's got a new book he's working on at the moment that we couldn't really talk about. Um, and so I'm gonna, I'll probably get him back to talk about that when that comes out later this year. But, um, you know, he's he did a, one, one of my favourite books is uh, a book he wrote where he went on tour with Sam Hunt and it's a collection of some photographs and some of Sam's poems and then it's this travel diary sort of journal biography that uh, Colin stitches together and I, I love that book um, so we talked through his his life but he was a, a newspaper guy you know a cadet a, a young guy living at the bottom of the country uh, looking for work and uh, he fell into journalism and then he'd always been a bit of a rock and roll you know fan and he got into music writing at a time when it was really only just getting going. So from there, he's done television production, TV writing. He's made um, made documentaries. He's you know he has this great thing where he's the people like Sam Hunt and uh, Barry Crump, these these Kiwi heroes. He has helped put their stories on the screen or um, made a documentary about Split Ends. You know he's he's. Uh, He's done a hell of a lot, and um, and he's just a great uh, a great guy to sit and have a chat with, a great raconteur. He uh, is happy to sort of uh, name names and, and you know knows where some of the bodies are buried and all of that sort of stuff. So we kept it pretty much to his timeline and all the things that he's done and seen and written about and and read, uh, with a few little sort of wanderings. Um, but I, I had a blast having this conversation, and I hope you'll enjoy listening to it. It's um, it's me talking to Colin Hogg, and as always, I have to thank uh, Yeasty Boys, Le Petit Chocolat, and Tea Leaf Tea for giving us some fine product. This is me and Colin Hogg. This is Sweetman Podcast, episode 68. You need to have a severe lack of focus in this country. Or else you won't bloody survive. <laughs> so, so you grew up down south? Yeah. You were born in... I was born in Dunedin. Yeah. In 1950, so I'm old. Yeah. Um, but I always think it's the perfect year for music. Yeah. You know, because I was 12 or 13 when the Beatles came along and I got to grow up through the 60s. Unfortunately, I got to grow up in Invercargill, um, which is a bit of a drawback. But there yeah. was, you know, there was a music scene there, actually. And that isolation, you know, the things that grow out of isolation are always interesting. Yeah. And I guess I grew out of isolation too. And that early Kiwi rock and roll stuff was, and even right through to the mid-80s, it was, was like package tours that went around big parts yeah. of the country, right? Well, like, I remember shows like, you know, there was a TV show called Come On or Let's Go yeah. or something with that old... Fairy Pete Sinclair front here, and um, they, they send package tours around. So you know you get the house band and the mm. great Columbus the Invaders, and you know I saw the Lardy Dars. They were, you know, like 
bands where you, I still remember them, you yeah. know, you go, whoa, yeah. there's a band and an attitude and the clothes and the whole thing. I mean, Ray Columbus always seemed like a bit of a moppet to me, like yeah. a, a slight embarrassment with a terrific band, you know, but some good songs. Uh, and a, but he had a he had some sort of business acumen, right, or whatever that got yeah, across yeah. the line too. Like no, I just probably didn't hear the Daffy dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, God rest him and all. But yeah. and um, only certain overseas bands ever got through to McCartney. So most famously, the star, Keith Richards has, has got that line about the asshole of the world or whatever. Well, he made all that up afterwards. Yeah, yeah. He never said a word when he was there. <laughs> yeah. I was at the show. You know, Keith Richards was a chicken for most of his life and then he turned into some sort of rooster. I don't yeah. know, you know. <laughs> but um, the one I remember speaking was Charlie Watts. Because the thing is, it was a package tour. Yeah. And it was the Rolling Stones and Roy Orbison and Ray Clumsy Invaders and someone else, this, or some awful band called the New Beats. They were some sort yeah. of throwback... American tight harmony band, Real Jerks. They had a hit at the time. Um, and the Stones were on last, which was a mistake. Roy Orbison was on before the Stones, and in Southland, Roy Orbison was God. Really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought he was God too, but I was there to see the Stones. So when the Stones came on, the crowd just kept chanting, Bring back Roy. And you could see the band were kind of agitated by this. And Charlie got up at one stage and came down to the microphone and said, Here's a song for all you sheep shearers. <laughs> now, that was the most insulting thing, really. You know, from Charlie Watts of all people. Yeah, well, because has he <laughs> spoken at a Stones show since? Like, probably not. <laughs> you know? No. He, he can't even look, he can't even look um, straight ahead when Mick Jagger introduces him now. He looks at his feet and scratches his head and, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. he doesn't want to be there or something. The band that had the huge impact, though, was The Pretty Things. Oh, yeah. Really. Yeah. They were kind of like the Stones, but nastier and hairier mm. and more dangerous and they set the stage on fire and and stuff when they played there so they had this huge impact and you know bands formed on the basis of having seen the pretty things in Invercargill so Invercargill was a real westy town the musical tastes were quite edgy yeah blues r&b that side of things not a Beatles yeah town. right because I've only been there once when I was a, a kid in the early 80s and there was obviously nothing there for me at all but it was a fleeting visit and it wasn't yeah. really that I grew up in Hawke's Bay I mean everywhere in New Zealand in the early 80s felt largely the same <laughs> to me as yeah. you know, it probably was but certainly as a kid yeah. you don't really Auckland was the only big city yeah, and it's kind of gone back to that, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. For a while, the the other cities were kind of competing, and now Auckland's really the only big. Town. No, Macau's like Saskatchewan or somewhere. Yeah, you know, it's right out on the edge. Yeah, but so visitors don't get any impression much, except of sort of, of maybe a certain bleakness. But when you're there growing up as a teenager, especially you know, in a time when the whole of you know popular music in yeah. lots of ways was being invented. We had to build our own culture around it. So it was a town where you had parties and, you know, there were dances at the weekends and the local bands playing at them and it was all that sort of thing. And, you know, you get together and you'd somehow track down the latest album by whoever it was and you'd get yeah. together with your mates and, you know, drink beer and listen to the music and, you know. So, I mean, my dad is of almost exactly the same vintage as yourself and he grew up in Hawke's Bay and he has stories of like his parents not letting him go to Wellington to see the Beatles and there being like a big standoff and and then he joined a band and, and yeah. obviously it was that real kind of 
almost cliched sense of rock and roll rebellion. Yeah. Was it that for you too? Like, were your parents on board with this or were they dead against it? Or, you know, did they help introduce you to music in any way? Or how did you discover it? Mum like Mary Lanza, that's all I can say, <laughs> you know. Um, no, I didn't come from a musical family or anything like that. No, I just, the first time I heard, you know, certain songs on the radio, I was just completely hooked, but I was a very introverted kid, I, you know, I taught myself yeah. to read by the age of four, and I was very into finding out about things and sort of looking for a path, I suppose, yeah. and early on I, I really got into the the early music magazines coming out of Britain especially, mm. almost the pre-enemy ones, like Fabulous and all those sorts of magazines when I was quite young, you know, so I was into the pop. That you waited a couple of months for. Yeah. They, they were they, totally out they, of date. The local magazines. <laughs> yeah. Did, yeah, it didn't matter. But though, it didn't matter. Cargo was out of date anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we were looking for clues and, you know, we, we, I'd send off uh, pointy boots from London and stuff like that, you know, so I was just obsessed with music. Yeah. And I was obsessed with writing and reading. Yeah. So I guess my dream from very early on was to somehow put those two things together. Yeah, looking at these music mags and thinking, is this something I could do? Now, is there, I mean, it is people like Pete Sinclair and his show and stuff that branch off into early music press in New Zealand, like there's mm. sort of supporting papers for those. Yeah, there was a thing called Playdate. Yeah. It was a, yeah, it sort of, that was more of a movie based. I think Kira Jodian or someone published that. Yeah. But it had music in it. Yeah. yeah. And so, are you? Do you get to a point like where you're plotting your escape from Invercargill? Well, I got a. You know, I left school. I I didn't get UE. I was hopeless. I mean, I just wasn't interested in school. I yeah. just had an attitude. I mean, I wasn't. Re I was rebellious in a quiet way. Yeah, know, yeah, sneaky. Yeah. yeah. Sort of the worst sorts of rebels, really. <laughs> Um, and I had to get a job, and I ended up, I won't go into it, but I ended up getting a job as a, a cadet reporter at the local newspaper, the Southland Times. Yeah. So I was trained as a journalist there, and um, in those days, all the, the... You say trained as a journalist, that's just total on-the-job yeah. training then. Yeah, yeah, yeah but they had a system, yeah, you, yeah, you know, yeah. cadet, and you had to do... Certain, yeah, yeah, you, you, know, you, but, you, yeah, you graduate training. up through it, but it's yeah, not... Training like, on the yeah, job, yeah, you did yeah. some reporting, you did some sub-editing, you did everything, you Yeah. Know. You got pies for the subs and yeah. all that. And it was a morning paper, so what immediately happened in my life was it was turned upside down. I was a night person. Now. Yeah, yeah. I was starting work at four or six in the evening, and I was sleeping till midday, and everything looped. The other thing that happened is my dad, just after that happened, got transferred to Christchurch, and so the family left town and left me behind. Right, oh, and right. I went yeah, yeah, yeah. flatting, and so my life further changed. And you know, I had as much freedom as you get in a vacation, yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. The other thing was that there was a, a the, the newspaper did a sports edition on Saturdays, and in that sports edition, there was a page about music that some monkey was doing. I can't remember his name, it was a very old fashioned in there. Yeah. But swiftly, my ambition was to get my hands on that page. Yeah had this terrible name, it was called the Southland Beat, um, and I got it, you know, I got this page, and I reinvented it on the basis of things I'd seen in NME and Melody Maker and everything, yeah, you know, so yeah. I started doing record reviews, you know, I just caught the last Beatles album, and the, I got the record companies in Auckland and Wellington to send me review records, but the review records they sent me weren't generally like 
the mainstream popular ones, they obviously I realised they had go down there listening to have all this leftover stuff. Yeah. And go, oh, send that guy's pestering us and in yeah. Chicago, those <laughs> that Neil Young one and that you know I don't know you know these Lothar and the Hand people. So I yeah. get these bizarre records, you know. All They're the actually weird great, like yeah. And it formed my tastes to a huge extent because mm. I never really got the you know I didn't get the Elton John or the anything. I got mm. the the odd ones, you know, and so I'd highlight those. And I started um, reviewing shows by local bands and interviewing them and yeah. taking interest in it. And, you know, so it sort of fed itself and it, the whole thing got a little bit bigger. I got yeah. $4 a week for doing that page. It's <laughs> terrific. Um, yeah, so... So what's the move from there? Like, you go to Auckland eventually. Yeah, like, yeah. But when I, does that happen? I hooked a job straight to the Herald in Auckland. Yeah. Mainly because a guy I'd worked with the Southern Times had gone to Auckland. You know, we were like pirates jumping ships in yeah. those days. One of your mates would get to the next big ship and then he'd throw a rope down and pull you across, you know. So I got up to Auckland to the Herald. I was working as sub-editor then. Though they were my years I'd sort of think of as learning to write. and um, But I couldn't get into the music thing and they weren't very interested in that sort of thing. Mm. in Auckland. So what are you doing? Just general reporting? Just general stuff, yeah. 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 Then I went to London in the 70s and lived there for three years. I got married when I was 21 or 22 and my wife and I went over to London and lived there. Sort of... What's the what's the aim? OE? OE. But, yeah. Have you career-wise... My you Scottish, I guess there was always a sort of a... Go and see the... Yeah, go and... But I went there to look at Scotland and decided London was the place, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and there were too many rallies in, yeah. in Scotland. Um, so I spent three years there and came back at the end of the 70s. Went back to the Herald. Didn't like it anymore. And uh, the other paper in town, the Auckland Star, was all the guys and girls I liked worked there, I liked the paper, it was sort of looser. Yeah. Anyway, so I skipped and went across to the to the star and that's where I really got involved in the music writing thing again. What what is what happens in England for you? Like do you get writing work? Do, do you get vast cultural experiences? Do you does it sort of feed the desire to um, focus on music? even though it's not quite happening for you. I was always chasing it. Yeah. I never stopped chasing it. I applied for a job at Melody Maker, I remember, and I went and had an interview with the editor, a guy called Ray Coleman, who's quite famous, yep. he's dead now, um, and I nearly got the job, but I didn't. I kept trying, but I ended up having to work in you know, like suburban papers and all that sort of yeah. stuff like you do. Yeah. And it was real hand-to-mouth. I went and saw as many bands as I could, but it was a terrible time. I was there 73, 76, and musically, it was just like this bloody black hole. It was yeah. all these bands like, um, you know, 10CC, it was the proggy thing yeah, to yeah. hate. Yeah, and yeah not, not quite punk, not, getting, yeah. not, not there at that The only time. stuff that was coming through that sort of kept us alive, I guess, were people like Neil Young, yeah. uh, Tom Penn and the Heartbreakers, and just a few, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I did see some great concerts in London. I saw um, Neil Young and Crazy Horse at the Hemsworth Odeon, where he played um, like a hurricane for the first time. Wow. That show. Yeah. In the front row. It was amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you're so you're sort of a lifelong Neil Young fan, aren't you? Like, yeah, yeah. You've, you've, well, you've stuck with him. Well, yeah. Through through at least the good stuff. <laughs> been rough lately, man. Yeah. Just crazy. I'm, I'm, he's he's a frustrating. I kind of think that's what's interesting. A big part of what's interesting about him, but he does test you. Well, he's wasting my money, and that's annoying. <laughs> yeah. I met him a couple of times. Yeah, now people have horror stories about him, but I, I oh, heard I you, loved him. I, I heard he you great. say you got all right with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember doing it. I did a phone interview with him once, and um, and he was obviously really stoned. He was just, you know, everything was hilarious. And then he came out here to do a show at Western Springs, this enormous show. People don't sort of talk about that one, but... He, it was a three-part show. It went for like four or five hours. Oh, he, yeah, he did yeah. acoustic, and then yeah. he had this band called the International Harvesters, That's who right. was like his country band. Yeah. These phenomenal Nashville players. Early eighties, early to mid eighties. Yeah, and then Crazy Horse. Yeah, and he spent a couple of days here, and I was making with the promoter, and I said, oh, you know, I kind of get an interview with him. And he said, oh, yeah, why don't you just tag along with him for a day? You know, yeah. just hang out with him. He'd rather you did that than sort of sit down and. So I spent a day with him while he went to radio interviews and mocked the rock, the, the rock DJs and yeah. he went um, um, surf sailing, what do you call it, that thing where you stand up on a... Windsurfing. Windsurfing, yeah, I never thought of nearly ours. I've got a photo of him actually <laughs> wow. doing it and he's yeah. out there windsurfing. Yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't seem quite right. And up at Bastion Point, they had to welcome from up there. And, you know, like, and he had his family with him, yeah. his kids. Yeah. It's quite handicapped. Yeah. Um, and he was just a lovely, lovely guy, you know? Yeah. Just very, like a hippie, yeah. really. Yeah. But funny as a goose. Yeah. And, you know, if, if someone pissed him off, you know, he had a way of looking at people that turned them to stone. Yeah, you yeah. You know, a lot of presents. Yeah. Yeah, you'd, you wouldn't want to ask him the wrong thing. Like, you'd get one chance kind of thing. And if yeah. you fucked it up... But I've seen him play about six times, and I just think he's amazing. Yeah. You know, solo, he's astonishing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw him at um, Mount Smart. There was a Greenpeace concert there. Oh yeah, people reference that. What's that? That's like late eighties. Just playing yeah. play acoustic twelve string. Yeah, it was it was like an orchestra. He's yeah. an astonishing guitar player. Yeah, I mean great. I love his electric playing, but his acoustic playing is yeah. No, he's quite something. Yeah, really. I agree. I sort of I don't I don't actually quite know how I discovered him, but I kind of I kind of got onto him all by myself. You know, I felt like and um, and I didn't. When I got into listening to like that decade album, it was only then that I went, Oh, yeah, I do know this song Heart of Gold, but that, yeah, you know, I knew that from the radio, but I didn't know that was Neil Young or who he was. Well, I probably got to him through Buffalo Springfield a little bit. There was that song, Mr. Soul, yeah. like that, yeah, you know, and that, that Stephen Stills song that was the hit, yeah, something's going on, yeah, yeah. But then, you know, I was saying the, the records I got sent in the car, I actually got sent, everybody knows this is nowhere, you know, like yeah. the second solo album, it just completely blew me away, you mm. know, it's still an astonishing record. That's the start of Crazy Horse. That's the start of yeah. Crazy Horse, and then it went yeah. back to the first one, and then it just all, mm. you know. Mm. So, I mean, um, we're jumping a little bit away from your timeline here, but um, I was, when I sort of discovered your writing, one of the things I liked about it was what you just sort of referenced with going and hanging out with Neil Young was that you seemed to be able to, through your own ability and obviously through how it was at the time, to do these longer longer kind of things where you hang out with someone yeah. for, for, I mean, my favourite book of yours is the Sam Hunt one. 
you know, where you basically you go on the road. Angel gear. Yeah, yeah, where you basically go on the road with him. And it's yeah. got it's got photos and it's got poems and it's got, you know, Sam's presence the whole way through it hugely, but it's also your account. Well, the thing I used to find was, you know, I'd get sent overseas to interview some band or something, you'd come back and write the story. Yeah. And that was a story, and it was sort of about, you know, all that. But there was always the biggest story, you yeah. know? Like, there was the story you delivered, but there were, then there was the real story. I did a book years ago, I don't know, got me in a lot of trouble, called The Awful Truth. Yes. And the idea of that story... Your unauthorised autobiography. Yeah, unauthorised <laughs> autobiography yeah. so I refused to take responsibility for it, it was kind of a joke, it didn't yeah. work um, but the idea what there was, well here's the story I told but really to step back and actually what I experienced yeah. getting to that story was yeah. this and this mountain of cocaine and the, you know, yeah. and the whatever, the naked cowgirl riding across the ceiling and everything <laughs> you know um, yeah so I always wanted to bring an element of that into it mm. But the difference too, Simon, is that early on, because you have to understand, I'm not saying I got there first or anything, but when I got to the Auckland Star, we were given a daily feature section to fill. You know, it was like an entertainment section. Four days, four pages every day, and I was put in charge of it, and I was a music writer as well. So you could, you know, you had this tremendous outlet for this stuff. And only that was a really vibrant time for the local music thing. And so all the bands were running ads. We were running these gig guides. So it was quite lucrative, you know. And the editor just said, well, it's working. You've got freedom. Just don't defame anyone or use bad language or whatever. But in those days when bands came through, instead of doing pre-interviews with people like everyone does now, I'd wait for them to come to town. Yeah. You know, and you'd interview them, you'd see the concert, you'd maybe hang out with them a bit, and then you'd run a feature a few days later. Yeah. Because you were doing it through the record company. And when did that when did that switch to in your in your time, when did that switch well, I think to I the annoying personally screwed it up <laughs> by saying to someone, Oh, I got this new record by someone obscure, say David Lindley. Yeah. Who I used to like his yeah. early stuff. I said do you reckon there's any chance of tracking him down and letting me do a phone interview with him? And they said, oh, God, no one's ever sort of asked for that. I'll see what I can do. Yeah. And so that happened, and then someone else came along, and I said, is there any chance of... And then that kind of evolved into this thing where, I don't know... Are you telling me you created the 15-minute phone? We moved back into <laughs> the pre, and then we linked arms with the promoters yeah. instead of, of the record companies. Yes. Not that we were... You know, like At being all, advertising yeah. guys for the record companies or anything. But that's what happened. So it all became the pre thing, and then it came down eventually to the 15 minute garbled phone mm. interview with Mick Jagger mm. before the show. Yeah. And it's just. Um, it's just. Uh, it's pl- just crap, you know. Platitudes and, um, you know. There is an intimacy rigid, with a phone quiet. interview, you know. Oh, there yeah, is. yeah, yeah, yeah. You can get some really good ones. You know, you can. Um, but but the stock 15 minute photo is anyone can end up you don't get to sniff him or see him or uh, yeah. you know and, and you know I'm the as I said earlier I'm the sort of guy who will notice the something on the under the yeah. seat thing and that that's, and that's yeah. interesting yeah you know um, so that's what happened so and so you you what are the sort of um, what's happening in the local scene that, that you're 
you know, uh, passionate about bands like Hello Sailor and stuff are coming up and, and suddenly getting talked up. You're back around the time that they're making a big splash. Well, when I sort of got my hands on the music thing at the Auckland Star, the previous music reviewer had been a guy called Phil Gifford, who's, yeah. who's a terrific writer, you know, and is a really good, you know, I love music, you know, I remember him writing about the Little Feet concert and stuff like that. You know, he was really on... still goes on about music a bit, but better known as a sports guy now for pe- a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. yeah you yeah. know, I think he sort of maybe lost interest, or, but he was this avid sports guy. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a strong correlation between people who write about sport and people who write about music. I don't, I don't like sport personally, but we're all reviewers, you know. Yeah. Um, but the thing that used to bug me was you go along and see a show and there'll be a local band on first and you read the review the next day and the local band never got a mention. Mm. You know, in fact, the review would come in late. You'd mm. see whoever mm. it was sitting down. And so I sort of, and because we had so much space to write about music in the Auckland Star, I initiated a policy that said that, you know, if, if we reviewed a concert, we reviewed the, the support whole show. act. Yeah. And also, I also managed to initiate a policy of reviewing local bands and pubs, you know, like yeah. going to pubs and reviewing, but no one had ever done that yeah. before. But also, I said, we only do, we don't do covers bands, we don't, we only do bands that are doing their own music. Sure, they can do a few covers, but, yeah, yeah, but they have to be yeah. original bands. And this was, I suppose, part of the battle to push the covers bands out of the pubs and yeah. get all the hello sailors and street talks and all those sorts of bands and yeah so but see i came back to news i i joined york star in 77 so hello sailor had sort of been going i caught them when they came back from los angeles and they were sort of broken yeah apart we had a big concert i organized through the newspaper a concert at the at the old his majesty's to sort of we had we were raising funds for something worthy but it was just an excuse to have a great big concert. We had Hello Sailor and Street Talk and all the bands of the time. Yeah. Golden Harvest. Yeah. <laughs> um, Stung. Yeah. I think. Maybe Citizen Band. Yeah. You remain a mystery to me why that was so popular. But yeah. Yeah. Well, Split Ends Connection. So we just, we were, I guess we were part of this sort of, you know, that we were taking local music seriously. And, you know, they were taking us seriously and everyone was sort of, I'm not saying raising their game, but this thing developed. And mm. then, you know, I was maybe with Simon Gregg and, and Roger Shepard and all those sorts of people. Mm. And then the local little label started springing up. Yeah. And so that all became... And what um, horror stories or war stories do you have around knowing these people, hanging out with them, having access and then slamming them in the press or uh, did that not really happen it must have happened a few times yeah yeah i didn't i guess i always had a sort of loose policy of not getting too matey with yeah. musicians yeah you know i always had this thing i'd sort of describe as the you know the the bass player in the toilet syndrome which you'd be at a pub having a pee this guy next to you at the urinal would turn around and mutter something darkly into your ear and it would usually turn out to be some disaffected bass player from yeah. some band you're given a bad review to, yeah. you know. And, um, yeah, but, I mean, I learnt quickly 
it, it wasn't those people like, you know, the label owners or those. It was being in the pubs, reviewing the bands, surrounded by the people you might have slagged off last week. That yeah. was the issue. There was a lot of danger in the air. It was also the time of the skinheads and the boot boys and yeah. all that stuff, you know. Bands so like No Tag and, you know, like, it was dangerous. Yeah, did it, you start feeling some eyeballs and... There was, there was a lot of violence yeah. in those days, you know, like extraordinary violence, mm. it shows. And afterwards, being chased helpfully down the road by great, bloody great big skinheads wanting to kill me, <laughs> you know, and death threats and stuff. But it was all, I don't know, it was all part of the fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, you'd, I'd get nasty mail, we'd, we'd run it in the paper. Yeah, we yeah. sort of, you know, yeah. we built it up. I'd, I've, I would... I learnt not to, but I would probably deliberately write provocative things, you yeah. know, things I regret now, in a way, but, I mean, I remember going to a show out at Mount Smart, and it was this whole rock and roll package tour, and they had, like, Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley and the Everly Brothers and everyone there, and um, I went along, and they were all so old, mm. you know, and the Everly Brothers were so fat, they couldn't kind of get the mic. <laughs> And Chuck Berry played one and a half songs and fucked off as usual, you know, yeah. and Bo Diddley played just all these samba songs. And I wrote this review and I put the heading The Night of the Living Dead yeah. on it. And, and afterwards I thought, that was a bit cruel, like people are really out to get old, you know. It's yeah, okay. yeah. Settle down, pal. <laughs> But it, it was just part of... It's all part of the process, right? My it's aim was always, you know, with the music thing, was to sort of somehow write to a wider audience, if you mm. could, you know. Mm. If you could somehow get, get people who weren't interested in the topic to read your stuff, that was yeah. always my aim. And what are you... Are you still uh, aware of and reading? Like, I mean, that's a golden era for things like the NME Like, some really great writers that people mm. still reference to this day. Were you following that stuff pretty heavily and pretty interested in, you know. I had early on. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I'd read all those people like Nick Kenton. Yes. Had, I mean I never had that much. To me he was too much. He wanted to you know Be the rock star too. He much. wanted to be like yeah. Keith Richards yeah. or something. Yeah. And a lot of them went and formed terrible bands, you know. Yeah, yeah, I mean yeah. it's the sort of thing. Like you end up being the equivalent of Keanu Reeves or something <laughs> really. If you're not careful. Without the looks. But there were terrific writers, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean that's the thing still about English music writing is it's it's actually a lot better than a lot of the music they're writing about yeah, because yeah. it's witty. Yeah. You know. Something the Americans still don't quite get, I don't think. I mean I used to read Rolling Stone from when it came out, but it was always a bit earnest. Yeah. For me. So yeah, it was the culmination of just you know, honing your skills as a writer. And what are the other sort of writers that you're looking to, if not to emulate, but uh, you're carrying with you? Like, are you sort of, you know, Hunter S. Thompson and those sorts of names and people having an effect on you at that point? Or? Yeah, well, I read him early on. Yeah. I read um, that first book of his, Hell's Angels. Yeah. Which is actually a really straight book, if you read yeah, it. Yeah. It doesn't have any of his purple stuff. Yeah. Um, and I I got that book. It's still a classic, The New yeah. Journalism. Yeah. The um, Tom Wolfe. Um, yeah, the Tom Wolfe one. And that's yeah. got, you know, Hunter S. Thompson's best story. You know, he should have just given up after writing that one, really. Yeah. 
the Kentucky Derby is yeah. different to pray. It's just brilliant. It's yeah. The ten plate is sort of everything. I just love that story. I thought it was. But well, that book is amazing. Like that book is. Yeah. It's like like a, and I imagine lots of writers, particularly, journal, you know, journalists, people writing essays or journalism. That's one of the bibles, I reckon. Yeah. 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 But it made me see that you could. You know, I wanted to write in a more colourful way, but still be true to the topic. It's that yeah. thing. Yes. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, I've never tried to write like, like Hunter Thompson. I wouldn't want to. I don't like a lot of his writing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's yeah. overblown, yeah. you know. He's just got these tricks. Yeah. And he's really boring about politics and, you know. The good that. stuff's really great. But the but good stuff's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. And to a huge extent, he's a bit like William Burroughs. You know, his best story is actually his life. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And a lot of his writing is actually incomprehensible. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. But he represented something which was an attitude, yeah. you know, an outsider thing that, you know, to live yeah, outside well, the law, you must be honest, and people don't really understand what that means, but it means you have to be true to your own set of rules, you know, you're, you're an outlaw, you're not a criminal, you just yeah. want to be outside the yeah the rules a little bit. So how did you keep that up yourself when you were really, like, right at the heart of it, it seems, you know, like main paper of New Zealand or one of the main papers of New Zealand, biggest city of New Zealand, yeah. um, helping in a big way to actually foster a scene in terms of giving coverage to these local bands, um, giving giving um, reviews to opening acts. Yeah. You're all of a sudden it's a it's a short step and you're uh, you're without even realising it, you're a big part of the machine. Yeah, I, I never thought of it as like that because I never felt like a machine, you know. Yeah. People used to talk about the music industry and I used to say, what, what do you mean, industry? <laughs> the day it becomes an industry, we just all leave town, yeah. you know, because it'll become like it is now, which you've only got six flavours. Yeah. There's just no nuance between, there's no twist in anything, you know, so nothing interesting really gets through. Um, I, I don't know, I sort of realised I was influential, but I wasn't thinking about that. I mean, I just had a personal ambition with the writing, which was to pull in a wider audience, yeah. but not move out my outside my areas of interest. You know, it was mm. a very selfish thing. Mm. And when I ended up back at the Herald and working in features departments and things as a writer, I realised immediately that the way to never be assigned anything is to assign yourself. Yeah. They yeah. have just proactively have ideas that the features editor can't resist, yeah. you know, so I just always managed to do that. To come I've never with really yeah. ever been assigned to much, you know, so that was my thing, or to somehow be in charge, because yeah. I don't like being told what to do very much. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just doing, like, being able to write a feature about music that wasn't run in the music section, that was always my thing. Like, once... I wangled a trip to Melbourne to see Season Top, who are one of my favourite comedy acts, <laughs> and um, to interview them. Yeah. You know, because I'm really curious. I knew there were some brains in yeah, the yeah, band. Yeah, and yeah. There are. Um, and I came back and I wrote a feature about it, and it got on the front of the Herald Saturday feature section. Mm. And that was like, that was like, you know, kind yeah, of yeah. Everest to me. Yeah. And I was back in work on the Monday, and some dusty old bloody. Um, editorial writer or someone walks past and goes, jolly good story about those ZZ chip, uh, <laughs> ZZ top chips, Hog. They, they used to call everyone by his surname. Yeah. 
And I thought, yes, I've got someone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You might even check out. Yeah, my God, yeah. Or something, you know. I reckon Billy Gibbons is kind of a bit crudely underrated, really, as oh, a guitar yeah. player still. You know, I think those that know, know, but. And he's a funny, funny guy, you yeah. know, and he's a real smart cookie. Yeah. He was lecturing in for a while in Egyptology at the um, University of Houston, I think it was. Right. He's an he's, uh, Egyptologist. Yeah, I've heard him interviewed a few. I've never interviewed him myself, but I've heard him interviewed quite a bit. And and you know, I don't I don't even sort of announce to people that I'm a massive ZZ Top fan. But as time's gone on, I realise I like them a lot more than I ever. Mm. You know, I think a lot of people. Uh, the obvious reference point is those you know eighties you know Eliminator yeah 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 yeah. yeah. those two albums Afterburner Eliminator and and the video and and there's also not a lot wrong with a lot of that stuff but it's not really the heart of what that band is about what they do slightly before the early stuff's sort of real plain bluesy sort of stuff yeah anyone can do that and then later on stuff, there's some brilliant stuff. That last one, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I love that. He's got that rap song. Yeah. No, he's clever. And his, his um, guitar tone is just impossible. Fat so they had a very heavy manager, this guy, Pete Ham. Or no, not Pete Ham, uh, Bill Ham. He died. And he wouldn't let the band do anything else. They, when they would do solo stuff, they went down yeah. to guest spots. They never really did interviews much of anything. Yeah. It was a total... And it seemed to work for them for years. Yeah. But in the end, they got fed up with it, and they fired him. Right. And in the last few years, you'll know, you know, if you Google up Billy Gibbons, he's turning up with all sorts yeah, of people yeah, yeah, doing yeah. things, and you yeah. think, holy cow, that guy is something, yeah. you know? Yeah. He really... And they're just a three-piece. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. quite a phenomenal sound oh, when they're three piece Yeah, yeah, and because it strikes me, you're quite a um, a rock oriented guy, rock and blues, and yeah. you know, do you stretch out to you know lots of jazz and 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 other things? And what was the impact of hip hop or rap music, as it was called, when you were writing? Did that mean anything to you, or was that a mystery? I'm open to all sorts of music. You know, yeah. when, you, when you're a reviewer, you can't you say, can't, you have to be, that's right? crap because it's heavy metal. Well, yeah. I just forget it. You know, cause yeah. you've got to look at it and go, well, that's what it is. It's, is this good within its area? You yeah. know, really. I mean, I used to say, you know, just keep me away from country music or jazz, but... I, then, I you got older and, then you got older and you thought, that's quite yeah, good. Yeah, but also yeah. country, well, you know, the birds gone into country. I love the birds. Yeah. When I grew up, yeah, I loved all those rock bands. I loved the Kinks. I yeah. loved the Small Faces. I, I loved anything out of LA or San Francisco. That right. whole sort of psychedelic thing. I love psychedelic music. I like yeah. drone music. I like long pieces. I like classical stuff. I like Debussy. Um, jazz, I love Bill Evans. You know, I just yeah. can't get enough of Bill Evans. But really not much other jazz. I just think Bill Evans is a genius, you know. I like piano jazz. Yeah. Um, no, I like all sorts of music, really. I like a lot of. I like, I like, you know, what they call Americana now. Old, yeah, yeah. That's old country thing. Yeah. That's probably the centre of the kind of music I like. Because it's an evolution in a way from um, that kind of boogie-based blues rock stuff. A lot of it, you know, yeah. it's got a real, you know, uh, grunt to it, like a real guitar yeah. hook to it, and you can see how you can get from Orbit Brothers and ZZ Top to. 
Yeah. You know, to, to some of those bands now. I mean, I find a lot of guitar bands boring. Yeah, to be sure. Honest. Sure. There's got to be something in there, like a great player or something. And a great player to me isn't a great technical player. It's yeah, like Neil got, Young. Like yeah. Neil Young. But also, I mean, I think Jeff Beck is a god, you know, yeah, yeah. except he's got a terrible taste, unfortunately. Yeah, it tends to. I'm a, I'm a huge Jeff Beck fan, but you kind of, um, you have to, you know, some of what he does. He's, he's one of those guys, he's impossibly good, but, you know, I don't think he anymore knows anything about delivering a song. Like, I mean, he, well, no, he, know, he knows how to deliver a song, but he doesn't, he doesn't know how to pick a good song. To no, no, deliver. I don't think he does. He's a good singer. Yeah, yeah. And I prefer him as an instrumentalist. I don't, I'm, I'm not really interested in hearing him with, and collaborating with singers. I mean, I love the early Jeff Beck group, Rod Stewart stuff. Yeah, That's yeah. awesome. But since yeah. he kind of ventured out as a soloist, I'd prefer to... I, I don't really like a lot of the stuff competing with it but his kind of mid-70s fusion stuff I think is amazing and yeah. if you played me a lot of other stuff from that era by other people I'd probably hate it so what did what did writing about music so much do for your love of music obviously it ex- extends your uh, knowledge and your t- your taste broadens but do you also get really hacked off with stuff like do you do you recognize yourself becoming jaded yeah yeah, I just felt limited by it as a writer in the end, you know. I still love the music and everything. Yeah. And also, with the interviews, you know, I just thought, well, I've asked all the questions, I've heard all the bloody yeah, answers. It's the, it's and, you know, you get to interview Mick Jagger or someone, you think, well, what's left to ask? Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and you're sat down by someone beforehand and told all the things you can't ask, which immediately you go there. I was used to say, you know, I didn't expect it not to be told not to ask you about this. Yeah. What's the thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and also the weird thing with those really famous people is that the odd thing I'd find would happen more and more is that the the good ones, they were more interested in talking to me about the outside world because you realise these people were kept in cages and cages, cages. you know, then me asking the same old questions Mm. and them giving the same old answers because, you know, when you've been interviewed a hundred times, you've polished the answers and you know the good answer. That, you know, it's like whenever anyone says to you, that's a good question, all that means is they've got a good answer to that good question. Yeah. You know, that's all that bloody means. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then hip hop and, and all that came along and I was challenged by it, I suppose. Yeah. I just thought this is the bit where I get too old for this or something or I'm just not moved by it. I was over in Philadelphia... I got taken over there to see Genesis of all bands, but um, Run DMC were just sort of happening at the time, and I like that was really interesting. I thought yeah, they yeah. were great, you know. I like that early stuff. It had a kind of energy about it. I really related to. Yeah. But then it just all went sideways, and there was just a lot of oh, I don't know, just bad language and just stuff. I didn't think it was musical, and there was too much thievery for me. Yeah, I get Rabbit very sound. angry when yeah. I hear things and I think, shit, that's the James Brown riff or that's... Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you're not doing anything with it. You're just what are you doing? You're yeah, babbing yeah. about, hey, your mummy didn't love you or something. I don't care. <laughs> you know. I mean, I like some of the guys with a real attitude. Yeah. Who was that guy that cop killer? That rap guy? Um, you're thinking of... Um, NWA and Ice T and all that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, was it Ice T? Yeah. Remember, he put it out, he put out, I was pretty before your time, he, he had a side band and they did the song called Cop Killer. 
Body count. Body count. Yeah, and they banned it here. Yeah. And it was a big issue about it. And um, I wrote something about it attacking, you know, the censorship, you know, yeah. freedom of speech, because the cops were really upset about it. And I got invited to go on the Paul Home show with the police commissioner to discuss <laughs> it, you know. And this guy just hated this police commissioner. Oh, I thought, like- oh, God, I'm going to get bloody raided or something the next day. <laughs> but I was adamant that this was, you know, mm. and this guy was going, but this man is saying he wants to murder the police. And I'm saying, no, he's not saying that. He's speaking from the point of view of people who would... You don't understand There's a, There's a way into hip-hop, I think, and I think it's the way I found a way into it, is looking at it as a kind of journalism. Like the... Um, I think I think it's... Uh, what's the name? Chuck D from Public Enemy talked about um, hip-hop being the black CNN. Like, that was, you know, that was where and how they got their news. Yeah. And so when it's really working and really good... Yeah, but what's is... working musically about that? No, I mean I mean in terms of a type of storytelling. Yeah. You know, that that was sort of a way in for me, and I became quite interested in, I guess... The I... problem was they weren't putting a very good cover on the, on the book with the story in it for me. Sure. You know, like, melodically, it was so lacking in any musical originality that sure. I, I immediately didn't sort of see it as music, I suppose. To yeah, yeah, extent, yeah. You know? No, I, can, I mean, I can remember that as a kid. And then there was up Posse and Dean and all those people. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, I was dealing with all these people and anything that came along I would take seriously and I would yeah. write about it and I'd try to, you know, understand it. And he was such a stroppy bugger, Dean. And, you know, there was a big racial thing going mm. on here. Mm. And, you know, I've got... At the time, I was married to a Maori woman. I've got five Maori kids. You know, I'm sort of, I'm not, I'm a white guy, but I, I am, blood flows forwards and backwards as far as I'm concerned. So I'm part of the culture, you know. Um, but I just found this anger. I don't know. It was borrowed. Yeah. You know, it was a borrowed anger or something. It's like there are a lot of awful reggae Yeah, I was going to say, out, I was going to say. Especially around the Wellington area. Sort of on the back of herbs in the very yeah. early days. I can't well, remember I, their names, well, but they were they were singing about going back to Africa. Yeah. Some of them, and you think? Well, when I um, slammed Fat Freddy's drop, mm-hmm. um, and and well, what well, slammed is not really the word. I just wrote a thing saying I found their gig really boring, and um, Moo went on Kim Hill a couple of weeks later and said, "I think he's racist and he doesn't like black music." And she corrected him and said, "Well, if anything, I think you mean brown music." And then, and then said, "And also, um, actually, he writes about hip hop and soul music quite a bit, quite positively for the paper." And she kind of went into bat for me, which was interesting. But I thought, yeah, like, like, why do you get some ownership on this? Yeah, it's as borrowed to me as it is to you. Like, you know, like you're not really, you know, you could be, you could be upset that I didn't like your music or whatever. But, but, but music is a mil- I mean, every. Yeah. Part of music is a complete racial melting pot. There's no escaping it. If you love music, you can't be a racist. Yeah. You know, you just, how, how could you be? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there wouldn't be rock music without black musicians. Yeah, yeah, that, that yeah. came from there. Yeah. Even country music. Yeah. You know, yeah, is yeah. blues, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it became known as white men. And hillbillies are niggas, in a way. You know, they're just... Yeah. We're all the same. Yeah. So what happens for you when you step away from this? Like, so you start getting a bit... You've done it a while. Do you, are you frustrated with being defined as a music writer, as a rock writer? Is that tag oh, uncomfortable? Get, but or? I get bored in places too. And, 
you know, I was at the Auckland Star, you know, to my surprise, I was there for eight years. The editors changed and thing. The paper started losing money severely. You know, there was a lot of interference. I'm, I'm a fairly stroppy sort of a guy and I'll fight my corner. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so it wasn't, I was doing this and I was still caring about it. Um, but it was becoming difficult to do it. You yeah. know, and I was being interfered with, and eventually, sort of, basically driven out of the place. Um, so there was all that kind of thing which, going on, which seems to be how it happen, happens yeah. with entertainment. Writers. But then I went to the Herald and started an entertainment section yeah. there, and sort of, sort of, it was like I'd hauled my artillery across the river and I was firing back. Yeah, yeah. And they hired this guy called Paul Ellis to replace me, who just, I don't know, he was a bit. Of an embarrassment for them really but um and then it stopped working out so much at the herald so i went back to the star and started doing it there again and by then honestly you know yeah. and then i <clears throat> just decided i didn't really want to work for anyone anymore and went freelance in the yeah. mid 80s and you know that's what i've done ever since and so what comes out of that that's that must be around the time you do the angel gear book yeah which yeah. is which is I'd also the other thing, you know, I've always had these parallel careers yeah. going on. Yeah, in yeah. the early eighties too I started writing a column for the Woman's Weekly, you know, like for older ladies, you know, yeah. a humorous column about being a man yeah. and a father, because I had yeah. a little kid then. So I'd sort of had all these things going on. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, what did you just? Oh, well, no, no. I was, I was saying like that's where the angel gear thing yeah, yeah. must have fitted in, and I was, I was going to say, um, I imagine like you knew Sam for a while before that, at, at least. Um, well, the interesting thing way. about the music scene then was yeah. it was so, especially in Auckland, it, well here too, it was so integrated with other sort of outsider art, yeah, you yeah. might say. So you could go along and see a band, and they'd be supported by Limbs, yeah, yeah, the yeah, dance yeah. group. Or there'd be Sam Hunt yeah, yeah. doing, you know, he'd be the head. And also... He'd be the headliner and have a band supporting him. Yes, yeah, yeah. Or he might do some stuff with them. And, and, but also, he's there's such a um, musical... There's so many different sort of aspects of music that flow through him. He's a massive music fan. He, yeah. he recites song lyrics. He performs his... Um, you know, he calls them yeah. um, songs for the tone deaf. Like, music is a big thing that drives him. So, so. I'd had to review him. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's what I figured being a review. Yeah. In those days, it was much more challenging because you'd go, I mean, I remember having a review from scratch. Yeah, right. I, mean, I don't know if you remember then, but that's at least the four red-headed gentlemen yeah. Yeah. playing plumbing equipment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't know what to think. Yeah. It seemed to be more about the lighting than yeah. anything, really. Yeah. And, you know, or limbs. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really know anything about dance, but here they are in a rock environment. Yeah. Or Sam, or, yeah. or a, another poet, Gary McCormick was a yeah. poet in those days. Yeah. So I had reviewed Sam. Yeah. And then, I, yeah, I was approached by the publisher and asked if I'd be interested in writing a biography yeah. of him. And I, so, yeah. And was it going to be a straight biography or was that your twist to do like. They wanted a straight yeah. biography. But I mean, were you signed up for that or did you want to do. Well, I said, well, I'd need to see if Sam and I can get on. So they sent us off for a week on a tour together to see how we got on and we got on so well we nearly died. Yeah. And so we decided <laughs> to do a book and I said, look, I don't want to do a straight book. I want to do a. I don't know. I want to have two or three things going on and I want it to be. 
like maybe we can go on the road, do a tour, and I'll be your road manager. And I've never been a road manager before, so I'll be hopeless, but that'll bring an element <laughs> of danger into it. Yeah. And um, I'll weave your life story through it somehow. Yeah. And it might be great if you could do a few poems. Yeah. The bung in the book. And hey, why don't we... There's that woman over there, she's a great photographer. Why don't we get some photos for it? Shirley Grace. Yeah. And so that's what we did, and that's what the book sort of was, a road trip with autobiographical stuff and... Um, in photos and poems. Now, I discovered that book as a university student who has um, loved Sam Hunt's stuff, watched him a few times, read some of your stuff, known about who you are and what you do, um, and just obviously, you know, new to the culture and, and excited to find books like that. So I've got this dual interest in reading it. Um, did it do, was it a popular book? I mean, I, I discovered it, what you know, several years down the line. Did it resonate? Did it mean something beyond to you? Like, did it? Did it? Was it received well? No, it was. Um, well, it was. Was a time, it too fringe? Well, it, it was a time there was quite a fervent feminist movement in the country at the time, and um, apparently it's quite a blokey sort of a book. I mean, it was a bit rambunctious, had a lot of attitude in it. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I got mixed reviews. Some people loved it. Some people deliberately hired angry <laughs> women to review it, and it got some really nasty like reviews we could have sued over, really. But it didn't matter. Yeah. It sold out, yeah. but uh, but they never reprinted it. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know. Well, that's a common New Zealand. And it was also but... done as a hardback. And yeah. It should have been a paperback. Yeah. We wanted it to be a paperback, but then when they showed it to us a hardback, we thought, "Ooh, that looks good." You know. <laughs> Because it's a it had nice photos yeah. in it and things, so it was a nice yeah yeah. So it's almost, a, almost a coffee table book, you know, could, could be almost, but, but with more substance. Yeah, written writing wise, and a lot of sweary stuff yeah. in it. Yeah, there was one chapter heading, Morrinsville's not fucked. The pies are good, particularly good one. I thought, <laughs> you know, and, and, and it was a good title, Angel Gear. Yeah. Um, but it sold out and then it disappeared. Yeah. And right. now it's apparently a collector's item. Right. Um, the, the, uh, it strikes me just you saying that uh, about the feminist sort of movement at the time and um, that being a blokey tale, you also write about and write about and make a film about Barry Crump, who is, I guess, the quintessential Kiwi bloke. Yeah. And there's a lot of negative stories around him as well as positive. Um, but I'm, I'm finding it quite funny that you've done those things and hung out with, like, these sort of extreme rock stars, but you're writing a column for Women's Weekly at the, at the same time as some of that stuff. Yeah. After I did the Hunt book, the same publishers wanted me to do a book about Barry Crump. And I said, no, I don't want to do another kind of... Yeah. That sort of... I mean, Sam's my dear friend to this day, but, yeah. you know, I just didn't want to do another book about, you know, yeah, yeah. a tough Keep, guy. And yeah, also, yeah. Crump was alive. And, you know... And did Crump, he have friends, you know, like... he doesn't. I mean, Crump's like, guy was quite a scary guy, yeah. you know. And then a few years later, I was editing a travel magazine for... Anset was called Southern Skies. A friend of mine was publishing it, and and I was freelancing. And I I, I was always keen on doing travel writing, 
And I said, why don't you let me edit it? Anyway, I bullied him into letting me edit this thing. And I kind of, I decided to just rework the whole magazine, turn it into something completely different, sort of celebrate New Zealand, just up the standard of writing, photography, everything. And just do quirky, interesting stories about New Zealand. Quite, you know, just stuff that people would read instead of the usual crap you get in those magazines. And um, I, I went down, I set up an interview with, with Crump. I hadn't met him before, I don't think. And I went down, he was living in Wanaka. And I, I turned it into a bit of a road trip thing again. I got the, the Toyota people to give me one of their cars and I drove up to find him and that. And I spent the day with him at the pub. And we got really fucking off our heads that day. Anyway, I somehow survived and got home. And I wrote a cover story about him for it. Like a really long story. Yeah. But I realised later it was just mostly bullshit because he's yeah. such a liar you yeah, know yeah. like everything was just this legend you know um but fun because he he'd hypnotize you you know drag you into his world and make you see the world through his eyes but anyway we saw, we didn't really hit it off you know he looked at me and he obviously saw there was too much attitude there and i looked at him and i could see too much Luster, front, yeah, you know, like I want to walk behind what's yeah. in there, really, like a lonely little boy or something. But at the same time, he's a very intimidating sort of a guy. And um, but anyway, after the story came out, he was quite happy with the story. I hired him as a columnist for the magazine, so yeah. he was my columnist. And so we got to know each other a bit. And then he subsequently died. And um, I'd moved into, I got restless again, and I decided that. There was so much bad television on at the time, and I thought writing features is kind of like making a documentary, maybe, you know, it just, yeah. as I used to say, involves more electricity. And so I started making TV docos, and I used to, I'd come up with ideas, and there was a particular TV company I used to work through called Greenstone. Yeah. And um, I had this idea about doing a doco about Crump now that he was dead, and sort of tell the full story, because I just had this feeling about yeah. it. And we did this doco, it was sort of feature-length thing, two hours long. Yeah. And really, they'd give you a lot of money to make a doco on those days. I thought we got a quarter of a million to make that thing, so I could spend weeks, and we travelled round. So it wasn't a preconceived doco. I tracked yeah. people down, and we, you know, the truth came out of the story, rather than, you know, we've only got five days to shoot this, this is what we want, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. You're able to, and it was a very hard hitting and very yeah, dark, I very very dark thing that documentary. And I won an award for it actually for the script, which I didn't expect it to. Did you? But I, then I wrote a book about Crump because yeah. I was frustrated by the doco because it was about a writer, and because it was television, they didn't want anything about his writing much. Yeah, yeah. You know, so and I had a lot left over, so I did a book called. So I was a life and loose strong yeah yeah another good title yeah <coughs> and, a, and a good book but i was i wanted to say like i wanted to ask um what did you think of him or appreciate about him as a writer and did that change uh, like were you already connected with his writing before you worked on these projects and did that change sort of meeting him and finding out stuff about him you know, did, were his books yeah, a part of your stuff, life? You know, I was yeah. a kid, I like good keen man and that stuff, and I liked that. But, I, you know, I didn't hold him in any great veneration. Sure. It seemed to me that his writing had severely gone downhill. He's, he's uh, quite one note. And he's repeating himself. Yeah. 
But I learnt things from him that I've never forgotten, you know, like things he'd just sort of say out of the corner of his mouth that, you know, he'd yeah. said too many times, but they were actually true. You know, like, you know, we've all only got one story, we just tell it over and over, yeah, you yeah. know, and that's what he, and we have, you yeah. know, and it's actually true. It's like Neil Young. Yeah. It's all one yeah. song, you know, and you just yeah. get better at it. Yeah. So, well, the people that are, you know, I, someone said to me the other day about the new, I don't know if you listen particularly to Amy Mann, with who, her music means anything to you, but I really like I love Amy Mann. Yeah, yeah. She's got all around. So she's just released a brand new one, yeah, the first cool. one in five, five years, and someone said to me um, that how much they liked it, and I said, yeah, I've been listening to it, it's great. And, um, and he said, you know, she's kind of, she kind of is a bit of a one-trick pony, but the trick is so fucking good, and that's exactly it. If you're good enough... You get good That's what you want from the one trick pain. Exactly. Do the trick again, but, and, but slightly, slightly better <laughs> or different. Yeah, just slightly with different. With a guest horse or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You don't yeah. want them to go. Yeah, so because I, I grew up um, quite digging Barry Crump's writing, but also, but like you were saying, like you wanted to get behind that facade. I kind of, when I was reading his books and I was quite young, I could tell that, you know, there was severe amounts of bullshit that had put these books together. You know and the secret to his thing, the thing that gets your attention, and especially in those early books, is the detail. Yeah. Like when he talks about how the guy's, you know, doing some physical thing, building or yeah, blowing yeah. up a dunny or something. Yeah. He's done it, and he's and he yeah. nails it, and you don't know what it's about, and he sort of pulls well, you in with the... Totally. Well, I'm the a, veracity of it. I'm know, about as far the, from a deer culling expert as you could get, but reading, you know, Good Keen Man and, and Good Keen Woman and all of those early books, um, he puts you right there. I mean, I've been on a few bushwalks. That's about as close as I yeah. get. You know what I mean? I haven't. Um, I'm not no expert on which which huts and cabins to avoid and which to go yeah. to. But he puts you right there in that scene. Yeah, through those details. But he could write. You know, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, stuff, totally. The stuff and. A good keen man that's so lyrical, you know, the way, just some lines about the sky, the clouds, or things, and it's really original, you know, it's not hackneyed. Yeah, well, it was New Zealand's biggest selling novel for years, still is, or something. Like but he wrote it simply, too. Yeah. It's almost like Dr. Seuss, like he only had 76 words. Yeah, 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 you know? yeah. But the other thing, too, is having already dug into it and found the original. You know his original version of Good King Man, and then seeing all this this guy, the editor, how it was shaped, Alex yeah. Fry, the, yeah, the change. Yes. But the thing about Crump was he was a quick learn. Yeah. And that's the other thing I learned from him. You know, don't tell him you can't do it, so that by the time they find out you can't do it, you do know how yeah, to yeah, do you've it. Yeah, you done too it. fucking late. And he learned from that editor. Right. Real yeah. Life. Yeah. He was a quick learner. Right. But he was enthusiastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. You say oh, I got restless and I wanted to make TV, but how does that actually happen? Like, how do you? Obviously, it's different then to now, but how do you just? What's your connection to it? How do you step into that? You've got a track record of written work, but um, you start making docos and TV shows. Well, it's the power of the pitch, isn't it? You know, you got to have an idea, and yeah. you write an outline, you find out what you know. Yeah. Have you thought about doing a story about? Oh no. Do you want to knock yeah. something together about that? What angle would you take, you know? Yeah. And so I was thinking as a feature writer, and, you know, you'd have an angle. It wouldn't just be, well, why don't we do something about Barry Crump? Yeah, you yeah. Know, it would be, you know, let's dig into it, the man yeah. behind the man. Where did it come from? Yes. Yeah. Is he a nice guy? Yeah. I don't know, is he? Yeah. Has <laughs> he really had nine sons by nine women? Is he... 
is he a Baha'i? What does it mean? Yeah. You know. And is he gay? That's right. There were all. There, I mean, there were all, all those guys, all those, those young guys, up in the bush for months and months on end. Well, there were. There's a lot of pretty savage stories about him, and you obviously found out quite a few of them firsthand. Yeah. Uh, what sad, sad stuff. With yeah. The kids. So, what sort of impact does that have on you as a a father and as a uh, you know a reporter? And what's your What's your take on on how to be sensitive around that stuff? Like, clearly, this is this guy's um, a big, big name at this point. He's a Kiwi icon, and some of this stuff can further enhance his uh, mystique, and some of it can really crush people's hero well, dreams. Dead by now. I know, but it's, that's what I'm saying. So he's 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 his he's his life is over, but people still hold him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, people were some. Maybe less so now. I'm saying at the time of the film. A couple of film, his friends you know. were pretty upset, heartbroken. Yeah. Didn't want to believe it. Yeah. You know. But I've always just been intrigued by what's behind the mask, you know. Um, Going back it, to... It's just that thing of... There's just some people that all their goodness and all their light goes into what they do, you know. Yeah. All of us who do anything, it's even... I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not even in the same universe as any of these people, but... Any of us who, who sort of take something out of ourselves and put it on a page or into yep. something else, it takes away from, and for some people it takes almost everything out of them, you know. It produces, I, um, it ends up producing the shortcomings. Yeah, that's elsewhere. why some of the people you lose music or whatever yeah. you love, you meet them and they're absolute assholes. Yeah. They're just actually empty vessels. There's yeah. nothing. Well, they say you should never meet your heroes. Have you been crushed by... I mean, you're, you're primarily meeting these people. It's a piece of work, and I imagine you end up pretty quickly adjusting to that and deciding there's a piece of work here and the story still stands even if, even if they are a prick. But ha- have you had situations where you've been a bit crushed because the person was such a total letdown, like it put you off their music or... To be know, honest, I've always kept it separate. You know, yeah. I mean... Michael Jackson was a pedophile, you know, so so was Charlie Chaplin, you know. But it doesn't take away from their art, it can't. I mean, do you want to take their art out of the world? I don't know. I, you know, I can condemn the man, but I can't condemn what the man made, you know. It's just, it's the separate thing. I, the biggest time I've had a difficulty with that, I've always felt that way, the biggest time I've had a, a, a difficulty with that is Bill Cosby. Because I feel like his entire body of work. I mean, I know, I know. At this stage, it's still allegations, but I feel like, uh, come on, you know, like some of this shit's got to stick. Um, but his whole kind of perso- comic persona was about being yeah. a nice guy and a family man, yeah. and so that's made out to be a complete lie by his actions. So I, I, I feel like. That's a different case to you know. I think that's a, that's an unusual situation. That's what I mean, and that's the first time I've been really he was severely challenged. Something yeah. As him, well, not only that, he was knocking people. I mean, as 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 early as as recent as um, three or four years ago, he refused to go on Mark Maron's pod- podcast, which is you know the one that all the comedians talk on. He refused to go on it because the show's called WTF. What the fuck? And he's like, "Oh no, that's 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 you know a naughty word. That's a yeah. cuss word. I won't go yeah. on that." And it's like, "Oh come on, man! Like for fuck's sake, that's bullshit. You're still protecting this yeah. fake." 
um, honourable... Rolf Harris. Well, no, no, because I guess not, because I never really buy it. You know, I bought it to his... him once. He's actually the most boring person in the world. Really? I couldn't, it was a phone. I couldn't get him off the phone. It was over two hours. I couldn't get him to stop. Just prattling on he about... He just played Glastonbury. Right. You know, he did Glastonbury when he did that awful version of... Um, Stewart Hill. Stewart <laughs> yeah, yeah. the wobble yeah. board. And he was going... He was blown away. The kids love me, mate. They love me. It was just bloody amazing. Oh they love me. And I thought... I don't know if they're laughing or... I think I was the right age to never really have an opinion on him. Like, I, I grew up seeing him do his painting and his wobbleboard stuff on TV and you could go... This guy's obviously not without talent, but none of it stuck for me. Like, I didn't yeah. really care about him. So, I, you know, I, what's happened and what he's done is, is awful, but there's no challenge to my fandom. I didn't ever yeah. have it. The thing I found that made the interview thing easier, because I'm really actually quite a shy sort of a guy, and I thought, you know, I don't really do small talk very easily, so it was always quite challenging in a way. Yeah. But... You know, I love music, and that was the thing. I, I before I went to interview anyone, I mean, I, I didn't think about it at first, but I knew yep. what they did, maybe to a level that they weren't used to interviewers yeah. having. I remember yeah. early on that jerk, George Thorogood, and yeah. the Destroyers, the huge yeah. why they were bloody awful. It was like listening to tin cans being rolled downstairs or something. But... I went to interview him and he was staying in some hotel in Auckland and I was walking down the corridor towards his room, him and the band room there, they were real rough bastards. And the hotel, his room door opened just as I was approaching and this guy got thrown out and he hit the wall and landed on the floor and I looked at him and it was the guy, a guy from the Herald, I knew him. I said, you're right, I am fucking assholes or something. And I thought, Jesus. <laughs> you're up next. <laughs> so I went in. But he'd done that thing if he was like just an assigned reporter. Yeah. He'd gone in and said, so what do you guys do? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. where are you from? So yeah. what are you? But I went in and, and you know, I, I went straight to, I don't know what I got into, but at the moment I said the first thing, it, they all seemed to relax. I mean, I'm not saying I'm clever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just saying. That's no, a big difference. I knew I was curious. I'd done my homework. Yeah. You know, I'd listened to their records. I, I knew where they came from. I knew a bit about it. You know? I got to interview um, Jeff Beck on the phone a few years ago, and I, as I said, massive fan. And so you do your research even further. And I wanted to talk to him. I wanted to talk to him about blow by blow because that album's pretty astonishing to me so we get to the point where I sort of just kind of decide to be a fanboy and ask about that and and he gets quite into it and then he said to me at the end um something like it's really you know it's really nice talking to someone who actually knows this stuff and what I got from that was not a pat on the back but that yeah like his next phone call or his one previous was with just yeah any general reporter who's quickly looked at wikipedia yeah. And gone. The bass player of yours is cute, isn't she? Yeah. Or and tell me. So tell me about your new album. So you've done like fifteen albums now, yeah. is it? You know. And and so he's. You must switch off and go. Oh, fuck yeah. this person knows nothing of my work. You know. Yeah, yeah. So that's exactly it. I've always felt like a, a little bit of research tends to go a long way, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and it's kind a of commonality, and also, yeah. you know, after a while, you, you feel like you're part of that. Like, you're not a musician, but you're, yeah. you're in that yeah. zone, you know, and there's... Well, you would hope most musicians are music fans 
and so you could get on a nice level too with them about that. The only problem was ever with people where you feel like saying, why the fuck have you agreed to do this interview? Because you're just not telling me anything, you're a jerk. Like Mark Knopfler or Sting or those sorts of people. (laughs) Just fucking assholes. And they generally, a lot of them had been teachers in their lives, you know, which makes everyone a cunt, but they're not a teacher anymore. Well, Mark Knopfler was a journalist. (laughs) Well, maybe it was that. Yeah. I mean, I still think he's a clever guy, and I think he can still, I mean, I wish I could play guitar like that, you know. He's dull. He's something boring about him. I don't know. <laughs> but see, a lot of bands at the time that were huge, mm. so it wasn't that enamoured of, you know, yeah. like Die Straight Through enormous here. Well, that's been the that's been there and his curse really too, isn't it? I mean, that Brothers in Arms album is like the least representative thing for Mark Knopfler. For so what he's solo stuff. That's like what I'm it. saying. Like for for what he's about, for what he's gone on to do, and even for what they had done up to that point. I yeah. think the first four Dire Straits albums are good. Certainly, the first two are very good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then this thing blows up. Which, admittedly, that's how I dis- I was the age. That's how I discovered. It's that Dire weird thing, isn't it? Where you've got a superb musician. And, and question of taste again. and the thing takes off but yeah. they've got this dull he's got a dull band the yeah. dull bass player you know the yeah. adequate rhythm guitarist the, yeah. who happens to be his brother you know all well they left problems. it like the rhythm guitarist and the drummer the drummer was fantastic but he yeah he kept the drummer for ages and then goodness. when he went yeah it was you know but you think well, what is a band it's like that Chrissy Hind you know she did a solo record and then she does another record and she calls it Pretenders, but there's no Pretenders on it. But it's a better record than that solo record, yeah, no, weirdly. And I'm going, I'm going. do I just, is that just something in the psyche? Do I instantly buy back into it because it's called The Pretenders? Because I thought her solo album was garbage. Yeah, and then like this new Pretenders album is actually pretty good. Because I didn't good. like the solo one, I'm not going to buy the Pretenders. No, fair enough, one, but, it, but it's actually pretty good, you know, and it's better than the last probably handful of Pretenders records. Yeah. But what is it about that, like? Is it their power and a brand? Like, I think a little bit of it is. Yeah. Yeah. So you, how long do you make these TV shows for? And what sort of TV shows? I worked shows? on TV off and on for about 20 years. I did all sorts of things. Yeah. We managed to do a... We got a series off the ground called... Um, Mercury Lane, it was called. It was like a, a, an hour-long show. It was on a Sunday nights on TV One. It was like a compendium thing. I mean, I had complete freedom with it. It could be... a a full-length doco, it could be three little docos, yeah. and it could uh, all sorts of things. And also, in it, I started the idea of doing a thing I call Poets Corner. But I would film poets doing a poem as if it was a music clip. Yeah. So it wasn't just them doing the poem; it would be like a clip. We build a story around it, so, or yeah. maybe it would just be them if they were compelling. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, a lot of our poets aren't particularly compelling, and maybe you don't want to see too much of them. Yeah. And we maybe did fifty of those. Yeah. So I did four or five series of that, and did oh, I don't know how many. You know, lots of stories about the arts in general, but very wide ranging. And did, you did that show, The Good Word, which uh, I I remember being blown away by because I, I enjoyed it most of the time it was pretty good but it was also like how the fuck did this get off the ground how yeah, did a yeah. half hour show yeah. about books in New Zealand like I know it didn't have prime time slot or anything like that it started out it was prime time because it started out on TV one I At pitched what time? my idea of a book show yeah I can't remember 
And I went to them and I said, oh, this show, and it's called The Good Word. You know, I thought it was a clever title, me yeah. and my clever titles. And they said, no, what we like the show. And Emily's, Emily Perkins was yeah. running it. Yeah. She's great. And the whole, you know, I had yeah. little packages in it that were three or four different things yeah, yeah. in half an hour. And they said, it's just the title. And I said, what's wrong with the title? They said, oh, people think it's a religious program. Yeah, yeah. And I said, yeah, but that's the joke. Could you call it something else? And I said, oh, how about we call it The Book Show? They said, oh, that's great. <laughs> so we'd, I did two seasons as the book show, and then they canned it. And then um, a thing called TV7 and that's TV6 right. was invented. And these were almost like public service channels. Yeah. Commercial free and quite artsy-oriented. So I pitched it to them, and they said, well, you have to change the name. You can't call it, you know, it's got yeah, to seem yeah. like a new show. And I said, well, how about the good word? And they yeah. said, that's a great Oh, we title. love that. <laughs> And I changed, I changed the studio set. Yeah. That's the only thing I changed. I think yeah. I got some new music. Yeah. Oh, with the book show though, that's the other thing. Is because I was always trying to get my music thing into it, and I yeah. thought we've got to have a good theme for this. I thought I know what I'll do. I'll get David Kilgour to write me a theme. Oh, because I've always wanted David to do a surf guitar record for yeah. me. You know. Yeah, yeah. So I went. He said, "What sort of thing are you thinking?" I said. I thought it was like a surf guitar sort of thing, David, you know. And he said, well, that's a bit odd for a book show. And I said, yeah, but I like the incongruity. So anyway, he came up with something he sent to me, and I loved it. And I said, but it's not very surf. He said, no, it's sort of come out a bit more country, kind of. And I said, yeah. So I just keep thinking of cowboys. So I said, okay, well, let's go with it. It's great. And... Um, so I got a director and I said, we're going to have to shoot something for this. So I don't know, we've got a kind of country instrumental twangy guitar thing and it's a book show and I keep thinking about cowboys. So we, sh we shot this crazy thing. We had a cowboy riding down Queen Street, rush hour, midday, like yeah. a cowboy. He's yeah. riding down Queen Street. I mean, when I came up with the idea, I thought, well, this is going to get shot down because the council won't let us shoot it. But they said it was okay as yeah. long as we had handlers and we scooped up the ship so the cowboy coming down through all the crowds in Queen Street he turns off a road and he goes down an alley and he stops at a bookstore and so we got on the bookstore and I thought what the hell we're going to do with this bloody cow we've got to get rid of the cowboy somehow so we got him to go in the bookstore and when it's, it had all the signs crime da 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 and it said western so I yeah. said we just going to turn right and disappear and we'll just keep going so we lost the cowboy and that was the title sequence yeah really just to justify the fact that david came out with a country feel rather than a surf feel yeah well, i don't know what the hell i'd have done with the surf thing but, <laughs> but maybe some shots of neil young on the, on the yeah surf, some of those but then stuff. another tv series i did that actually went for even longer like seven years was called talk talk and that was a talk show yeah and that was funded by finley mcdonald was a sort of standard talk show yeah but i wanted to have live music on it and, um, you know, with local bands. And when I pitched it, they said, like, it's all good, but this live music thing, I just don't see how it fits in. And, you know, we want it, to, it's, it's in a new slot, this show of yours. And I said, yeah, but I just want to have the music. And I said, well, you can't have the music. And I said, well, I'm not going to do the show if you want to let me have the music. And they said, well, you're going to have to justify it. And I said, so I thought, I'll ask the guest to choose the music, the music they yeah, want it's got to be local could be anything yeah. could be classical could be whatever you want and then I'll get the band or whoever it is yeah. and if the person doesn't have any taste or I don't like it I'll just 
choose someone else, yeah. you know. So that was a talk show, and we always had a live in the studio performance by yeah. like every band in the country played on that, yeah. except Phoenix Foundation, who were just too bloody expensive. Right. And I, you know, I paid those bands that were, they got two grand cash and all expenses, everything, you yeah. know, like they were looked after. But the Phoenix Foundation, man, they wanted to say their manager, I don't know where he was coming from, but I kept saying it's one song. I'm actually not going to pay 12 grand for one song. I mean, yeah. please. <laughs> right, there's, a, there's a lot of them in that band, I guess. And that's was probably Tom their argument, Scott but... was the guest on the show. And I right. said, what band do you want? He said, well, my son's got a band. And I said, yeah, I know your yeah, son's got a band. They're going to make me broke. <laughs> That'd be great, but, you know. <clears throat> what band I gave him? What bets maybe or something? What um, so when you when you say making these TV shows, what roles are you moving into? Obviously, you're a writer, so you're scripting in some sense, doing outlines, doing the pitch. Well, I was an odd, with. I was an odd shape because I was a writer, yeah. and often you know in the early days they these companies I was doing the shows through would impose a producer on me, yeah, and that's where things sometimes went awry <laughs> because <laughs> with your I'm quite fighty, yes, and they thought they were in charge. And, you know, they'd have the sign-off on the final cut, and I just couldn't get my head around that. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up... And I also figured out where these record companies made their money in productions, you know, and I could see I was being ripped off. I was being paid good money, but I could see I could make more. Mm. Not yeah. that I'm entirely greedy, but also a lot of money wasn't going to the production. That could yeah. Have. Uh. So I formed my own production company called it Third Party Productions and, and all those shows were made by my company in the end. Yeah. But I ended up being, I had to become a producer. So I was a producer writer, which they're not used to dealing with. There aren't many of those around. You know, you could be a producer director. Yeah, writer director, but not writer. Yeah, writer director. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes I'd front things or report them from yeah. behind the camera, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it meant I had to find a, this, a, the right sort of director who would let me sort of take the creative lead. Yeah. And a lot of directors aren't so happy with that. So I had to find people who were open to that collaborative thing. Yeah. Where they were the eyes, really. Yeah, yeah. And I was the story. And your uh, Woman's Weekly column disappears and then comes back. Like, that's been a thing. A bit like your work with The Herald, you've moved away and yeah. you've gone back. I, yeah. I did it for years and then, I don't know, I got fed up with it or it felt intrusive or something and I stopped it at one stage and the kids kept coming and then my marriage split up and I had this idea about, I just do have a thing about being influenced in my writing by what's happened in my life, especially cataclysmic things. And I pitched this idea to the Woman's Weekly, here's another one of these stupid titles. I said, what about a column called The X-Files? That show was on TV at yeah, the time. Yeah. But this was EX. E -X. Yeah, yeah. Like, from the point of view of a separated father, you know, and the angst and all the stuff you go through being separated from your kids and still trying to make it work. So I went back and started that, and then after a while they just had a bit of a negative vibe, so yeah, I stopped that, calling it wouldn't look there. good on the opposite page of Over the Teacups, you know, and all that stuff. No. <laughs> it's a bit too heavy. Yeah, well, they were into it for a while, but I thought, no, let's just take the X bit off. Yeah. But then that rolled on and on for years and years and years, and um, but then a few years ago, when the TV thing all fell apart, I stopped doing that, and sort of things really... Fell apart, the budgets disappeared, you mean? 
roughly. Channels disappeared. Channels disappeared. Any interest, because the budget's disappeared. Any interest whatsoever in doing documentaries, really, any substantial sort of documentary, or anything arty, which yeah. was my side of things, they didn't want to know about. Yeah. And it was, I was either going to have to get into reality TV or something. I mean, I had ideas about doing that. Or get out, and I thought, I'll get out. Yeah. And then the Woman's Weekly canned me they said they were taking a new tech. Yeah. And I said, what's the tech? And they said, oh, we... Not you. <laughs> they said, we're, we're chasing the yummy mummy market. Yeah. And I said, oh, what's a fucking yummy... <laughs> and so I said, so they don't want me, and they ditched me. But then a year or so ago, they changed their tech again. They've run out of yummy mummies. <laughs> and now apparently their readers don't have at-home kids. They have grandchildren and things. So I'm perfect again, so I'm better. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And what are you, so what are you writing about there now? It's called Man in the House. It's just, you know, like a man's point of view. Humorous, yeah. you know, being hopeless, you yeah. know, yeah. blah, blah. Yeah. And also being sort of, I'm slightly a house husband, because yeah. my wife, I'm an executive wife, you know. So that point of view, really, yeah. I yeah. suppose. Yeah. And I've written, a, you know, and I, I kept on doing books over the years. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've put out quite a few. Yeah, I'm, I've just, my ninth book's coming out in September. Yeah. Well, do you want to give that a plug, or is it too? No, sick? I can't really. You can't it's, talk about it. I've yet? only just delivered it. Okay. And it's it's quite controversial. Right. So. It's, but the last one came out about was, a year and a yeah, half yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the Going South one. Yeah. 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 Which I, I haven't read yet, but um, I, that's on my list. Yeah, and that got me back and sort of road trippy kind of yeah. thing. That bit. was that was kind of what appealed to me about it. I mean, I, I you know probably read most things with your name on it but the I, I saw the immediate link to Angel Gear went yeah. oh this is a road trip thing yeah. you know that book's been a big thing for me so this will be interesting yeah and obviously who it's about you know yeah yeah and that's still you've got that thing that th sort of I guess is thread, threads through is that um, theme of mateship and guys on the road together and Kiwi males and there's quite a bit of that in your work yeah yeah it's strange because I don't think of myself as a masculine writer in a way. I mean, I don't think of myself as an immasculine writer, but yeah, or yeah. a feminine or anything. But but also having written for the Woman's Week for thirty something years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, having a lot of older lady readers. I was yeah. talking to someone on the plane yesterday, and um, but I was like that thing of being able to be in the two worlds. Yeah, where, yeah. You know, I was writing all the rock and roll stuff and that, and I knew none of those people read the Woman's Weekly, and that was good. Except, of course, when they went to the doctor. Because then they go, Jesus, I don't know you're writing a bloody Woman's Weekly, you wuss. I said, what, what are you doing reading a Woman's Weekly? Oh, I was just in the doctor and fiddling around. You know. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, I wanted to get back to the travel writing. I wanted to write a book about where I come from, Southland, because I always think it's so misunderstood. Most New Zealanders don't even seem to... Well, they sort of know where it is because it's at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, but it's not. But they say, oh, I've been down in your part of the woods recently. And I said, oh, you, where you been? And they said, yeah, Southland. And I said, oh, yeah, where, where? And they'd say, Omaru or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, they didn't know. And I've, yeah, been, yeah. I've been pestering the publisher with this idea about something about the South. I said, because I had this thing about, you know, the South of America it's, you know, it's heroized. It's a place of legend, Alabama and Mississippi and New Orleans and all that, you know. So why can't we 
feel that way about the south of New Zealand. But I kept pitching it and I just, it didn't have a centre to the story, you know, it didn't have a reason to go there or anything. Yeah, yeah. I always think with a road trip you have to have a reason to go. Yeah. And then I found out that's my... Well, that's always the way of the movies, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's that... Cl- yeah. That well, even with the sandbook, you see, yeah. the reason to go on a road trip, you don't just say, oh, we're going on a road trip, you go, well, we're doing a tour. Yeah. We have to do a tour and yeah. your job is this and... Yeah. But then I found out my friend, um, who I'd started at the Southland Times with all those years ago, who's journalist, was, was dying, and we I had this oh. idea of us taking a trip back south, and that kind of became the idea for the book. And he's a classic newspaper man. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's quite unlike me. We're quite chalk and cheese. Yeah, though, yeah, odd couple thing, yeah. Yeah, and um, so again, it could be like, Angel Gear, it was, I like the multi-strands, yeah. you know, going yeah. through the journey, the backstory, the, ooh, what's this place? Who's that person? You know, all that stuff. Yeah. And the new book is like that, except it's, it's got a drug theme. Right. But it's a road trip. Yeah. And that's all you, trip. Can, and that's all you can say on that. It's called Holiday on High, it's called. Yeah. Yeah. Another good title. It's out in September. It's it's uh, going to coincide with the election. Perfect. And that's not my idea. It's the publishers. It's, it's not, not your like, idea. It's Nicky Hager's. Oh, it's not like that. Um, <laughs> might make you laugh a few times. I hope. I don't know if Nicky will even make anyone laugh. But um, yeah, <laughs> it's really it's it's inspired by my anger at the invidious cannabis laws in this country yeah. and the fact that in the most unlikely parts of the world things are being liberalised at such speed yes. that we are made to look rather odd by our attitudes. Yeah, when we're supposed to be... The and a lot of us have really been criminalised all of our lives by something that's just absolute ignorant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ignorance. Um, how long did it take to write? How long... Do they take to write? How? What's been the? I like to go fast. Yeah, get the idea, pitch it. And I like go to. For it. I like to sign the deal in September and deliver the book in March. That sort of thing. And really screw up Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's generally what happens. You know, I'm a. I'm a. If I don't have a deadline, I'll never. No, exactly. well, that's most. Well, seems to be a lot of writers. Yeah, the, the worst thing you can do is say, um, just give it to me when you're yeah. ready. Yeah. Whereas if you say, give it to me next week, you'll do that and whatever else yeah. needs to be done. Yeah, yeah I'm going to finish a story now for someone. Because yeah. they said, whenever you're ready, Mark. Yeah, yeah. Mm, and if they had yeah. said, we need that then, you, yeah, and I you'd do it. Put it aside and do something else. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I'm very much like that. Um, you know, having to write something every day for... Uh, eight years was quite good for me for that now not having to write something every day is really nice as well but yeah the thing about doing a book though I mean up until last Friday I was like the last few weeks I was doing 3,000 words a day and I was almost insane you know yeah. and it stops yeah and you're elated and then you're just lost yeah it's like postnatal depression or something yeah. you just completely I found the weirdest I've written one book and I found the weirdest thing when I finished it was actually I finished it and delivered it and then I went on holiday so that was great I I handed it in and then the very next day I did a phone interview with Joe Walsh which was cool oh, he's one of my favourite yeah. people and he was, and it was it was only a phone I would have loved to have you know talked to him but it was great and obviously he's got this New Zealand connection and herbs yeah. and stuff and so he, he, we talked a lot about that 
and I had to take down that, I had to put that story together straight away and send it because I was catching a plane and I went on holiday. So that was actually quite a nice way to finish a book. I was still running on the yeah. adrenaline of the book, so shout out the story of Joe Walsh and then disappeared. But then when I came back, they sent me the page proofs and it was like, oh yeah, okay, this isn't too bad, but it's a bit weird, look through it. Missed one glaring typo, which made it into the published book. Um, then when they sent the published book, I couldn't look at it. I felt quite sick. I was, you know, yeah, is, this, yeah. is this what I've been reduced to? And you know, you go, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of... Well, you come back and you read it as a stranger. That's yeah. the thing. The time passes and you... But it's sort of... I'm going to have to do that shortly. It's sort of every annoying. man's nightmare. It's like, oh, it's smaller than I thought, you know? And it's, you know, it's, it's kind yeah. of pretty insignificant, really. You know, <laughs> it's like that. No, books aren't insignificant. No, no, but I mean your own work when you see it. Yeah, I know. You know, then you get over it. And you realise it's not yours anymore. Well, you just I just get on with the next thing. That's yeah. That's so you start well, you started off by saying a sort of lack of focus and 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 such has been a handy thing to have. You you've been pretty you've been pretty steadily busy. Yeah, I have. And you've, I you've, feel like I'm you know I've I've done a lot of stuff, but it, that's kind of meaningless really when you've done it. <laughs> no, but are you a, are you a, you don't strike me as a. Uh, Social media guy, as a person who's made that leap into that world, you seem to have ignored that and just carried on doing your work. Yeah. But what would I do there? I mean, oh, people talk about you, it. You have to pump your own, you have to pump and pump your own work. Roger Shepard and I started a, a, a sort of a website thing for a while, but we both kind of lost interest in yeah. it almost immediately. So it's I bumped into him at the supermarket last week and he was telling me, he said, I really need to talk to Colin and try and do that again, but I don't think either of us could really quite, quite be bothered with it in some ways. Yeah, it became a bit of a problem between us, but yeah, yeah, I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> Let's just say I was perhaps more into it than he was. Right. But but, you know, I mean, I'm a writer and, and, you know, I mean, writing is just so I can, if someone gives me something badly written, I can turn it into something that's better in 10 minutes. You know, it's just yeah. my, it's I'm like a carpenter. I can fix that broken leg on that table yeah, yeah. or something. Yeah. Whereas, whereas Roger is someone with a story to tell. Yes. It's quite a different thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And yeah. he did such a good job with his book. Oh, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, uh, when you've done it, when you've done something for so long, it's it's like a match fitness thing, right? Which which you have. I mean, I was just thinking, I mean, it's a, a few more years, but I mean, you're you won't be you're not that far off being a writer for fifty years. Yeah, you know, like it's it's moving up towards that, right? If you take into account like first job, it ain't my fault. I didn't, I didn't say it was. I'm just saying no, that's, that's quite. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I know, I know. That's quite amazing. Like that's to be. Particularly in this day and age where people are jettisoning, you know, any hopes of being any sort of reporter or newspaper person. I know you're freelance, you've gone into other directions, but there's still very much the aim of the journalist about a lot of what you're doing. You've got to be a hustler too, though. You've got to have an mm. ear to the ground. You've got to feel the shakes when mm. the trouble's coming. And mm. I've always had quite good instincts. Also, I get bored very easily, and so I move on. Yeah. So I've managed to stay ahead of the landslides, you know. Yeah. So when I joined my first newspaper, they were talking about the end of newspapers. I yeah, mean, right. <laughs> I, I got out before the end, Yeah. but I knew it was coming, whereas all my cellmates 
sat there until the prison until fell people, down yeah, like until people told idiots them they... looking out the window at the setting sun, you yeah, know? Yeah. You know, I've never understood that. I've never understood anyone can stay in the same place for very long, you know? So, and, you know, then I thought, well, there's television. So I sort of, and then there's, well, why don't I do something in a magazine? Or, and also, if you look at the books I've written, they're all over the place. Yeah, Actually, yeah. Also, I've yeah. written a history of cinema. I wrote a book about people having affairs. Yeah, yeah. So, just because I thought of a smart-ass title for it. and That seems to be a common theme for you, a thread. Mm. You know. Are you... Are you are you actually a title first person? Like, is that how a lot of these things have come about? Like, I used to be quite good at writing newspaper headlines. Yeah. It was my sort of kick for a while. It yeah. used to get me in trouble, too. <laughs> <laughs> I once got a heading in the Herald on the um, <coughs> the astronomy column, Ring Around Uranus. I mean, there actually was a ring yeah, around yeah, yeah, yeah. Uranus. That's like the um, Sir Elton John takes his boyfriend up the aisle. One that one of the British papers did, and um, when Ike Turner died, Ike beats T- Tina to death. Beats was a cause, you know. Yeah, could he deserved that, you know? My best one, I think, was I was at the Star, and you know, they'd give you a story to put a heading on. Sometimes it'd be just like a paragraph from overseas. Ah. And um, I was given this one. It was just this meaningless sort of story about this guy. He goes into a florist to buy a wreath for his brother's funeral, and while he's in there, he drops dead. And you know, you think, why have you even been given the story? So I wrote this heading, make that too. And um, I was called in by the editor the next day, and he was going to fire me. You know, so wow. it was really bad taste. And I yeah. said, well, why are we running the story? I mean, yeah. you know, honestly, <laughs> this is a like if it's from England or yeah, somewhere. Yeah. It's not someone we know in the country yeah. or anything. I said, it was just a joke. But you can't joke about death. Said, you know, the very fact we're running the story, we're joking yeah. about death. Yeah. Um, so you still you still give a shit about music mm. quite a bit. Do you still care about music writing in any way? Is it still something that you follow? Do you... Well, I was keen to do some more record reviews. Yeah. And a couple of years ago, I tracked down, I think he's gone now but he was at the Don Post and remember they used to run the rec- you did them I've done yeah and I did they, do them for a while they'd yeah. share them round and yeah. Colin Morris did some and you yeah. did some and, and I said oh, what's could I do something you know I'm buying these records that someone I'm enthusiastic about you know I could just he said oh you know we don't pay and I said oh, yeah. well I'll do them anyway and he, so I wrote two or three and I sent them in that's why I stopped yeah I, uh, I did it for uh, um, probably ten years for no pay CD reviews, yeah, which is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I didn't like the idea of not being paid because when I started out doing reviews, live shows, you know, yeah. the newspaper's habit was to, oh, we got tickets for Daddy Darchmore. Yeah. Who wants to go? Just yeah. write six paragraphs about yeah, it, you yeah. know. But I said, no, no, you got to pay people. Yeah, and well, see, I I got into writing the record reviews for the paper so that I could do gig reviews, which they did pay, and then I did the blog which they paid, and a few features and a few book reviews and, every, and a couple of film reviews and everything else I did paid. The record reviews never paid. I enjoyed doing them and got a bit of a following doing them mm. and, and got lots of other work through doing them. Yeah, yeah. You know, like ended up reviewing... Um, I just wanted to do it, you know. Yeah. Anyway, I sent it to him and, and then it, 
nothing happened. And a couple yeah. of weeks later, I sent him an email or something, and this email comes back. He said, I'm so sorry. He said, I showed it to the features editor, and he doesn't want to run them. And I said, what's the problem? He goes, oh, it's just, you know, your profile's too high. I said, what? And he said, you know, we want to give new people a go. I.e. someone who's, who's going to not, not say I want to be paid after a few... Well, I wasn't even here. No, no, I know. The money, I just accepted I know, but that. But I just thought that this was coming. such a sort of crushing thing. To, I didn't know what to do with that, you know. No, but they probably feel that the question's going to come again because if it takes on in any kind of way, which it would, because of your profile, then people are going to say to you, oh, what are they paying you to do that? And you go, oh, nothing. And yeah. then it's the seed is going to go, oh, yeah, it's actually, I've been doing it for three months, so I should actually ask them for some money. And then they would rather take someone out of a journalism yeah. school who will do it for nothing and keep doing it for nothing. Yeah, but then, yeah, yeah. Which is what I did for ages. Yeah, yeah, I, I probably was being cunning, just trying to get my toe back in the door or something. But, you know, for God's sake, that was a bit cruel, I thought. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, my thing has been, look, I'm I'm the age I am. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people around my age who still love music. They're actually a bit lost. Yeah. And you really don't know what's there anymore. I well, mean, there's so much that's there, you get quite confused. And I thought, well, there's new stuff coming out by bands and people who are very like the stuff that you liked yes. when you were young that you know maybe someone like me could say well you should check out you know yeah yeah like i hear new bands all the time i think holy cow that's good i didn't think i'd like that one but like their band the frighteners yeah you heard them? Yeah, yeah. that new york band that really blew me away that record i'm actually not a rock steady sort of a fan at all but do you know actually i was going to say to you before we were talking about there, there is a brand new body count record and uh you know i i actually quite liked that body count record because because i was the right age to be caught oh, up. I had a real hard yeah yeah but i was the right age to be caught up in that controversy too to kind of exactly what you're saying that whole freedom of speech thing to want to understand why someone would want to do that but i gave up listening to body count in 19 92 or whatever or 93 and uh i played some a few people were going on about the new record and i played it yesterday and it was really fucking good really good oh, yeah. really like it's a total throwback to to the set original sound i'll never forget being on that thing with that bloody police <laughs> holy cow he it's was so that guy when he retired he became the head of some church oh yeah, thing. Right, he yeah, was yeah. obviously a real he looked at me with hate you know, when I started talking about freedom of expression, they're talking about killing policemen. Well, so how many books are in the in the um, pipeline? You got the new one to come out in September. Are you working on three other ones already? No, but I had a meeting with the publisher the other day, and um, they want me to come up with something immediately, and I need to. Yeah, because this will be like. See, I hadn't, when Going South came out, I hadn't actually done a book for 15 years. Yeah. It was actually a shock doing a book again. I'd actually forgot, I was a bit offhand about the dead. You know, I thought, oh, yeah, I'll get it done. But yeah. You forget the overwhelming mountain of words you have to produce, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the distractions of yeah. the modern but, day. So this next time, I'm sort of back in the groove. Of yeah, got your match fitness back. And, and, you know, Going South went pretty well. And it's been, mm. um, actually, it's been published in America in a few months and in Britain later in the year for some reason. Um, but it's a good title again, you see. Yeah, Going yeah. South could be anywhere. Yes, it's very metaphorical. Could be like Paul Thoreau or something. Yeah, yeah. Hope not. Yeah. Mm. So you're, you're going to easily make that 50-year milestone of writing? I hadn't thought of that. Sorry no. to bring that up twice, but you, you are... Next year. 
Will it be next year? Yeah, yeah. will be since I yeah. started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, well, that's what I was thinking. It must be really close to it. And I reviewed um, Let It Be, whatever it was. Yeah, wow. Bad one to end on. <laughs> um, is there anything else you want to... Lothar and the Hen people. Is there anything else you want to talk about? I feel like we've got through quite a bit. No, of... I think that'll just about. No, I haven't defamed anyone or anything, so that's um, that's. Do good. you want? Do you want to? You always want to. No, I tend to do it to their faces. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, it's tended to be my way. Yeah, you know. Like, I used to think about your review sometimes, that you were just grandstanding too much. Really? Like, like I used to. Yeah. Now that I've got your attention by saying something completely outrageous, you know, I think, but I, I wouldn't do that too much anymore. I don't know. But that you don't anymore. I don't um, know that I really did that that often. But I think, like, a couple Robbie, of... Robbie, what's his Robbie face? Williams. Yeah, well, that worked. That's I mean, I can't stand the, the guy or anything about him, but... That's worked out really well for me, having done that. <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's going to work out. <laughs> yeah, well. yeah. Look, I, got, I thought... I, I, I don't often say this, and because it's such a dumb thing to say, but I thought that was a pretty good review. Like, I thought it was a pretty... Like, no, I read it. I thought it was... No, a, no, it was well written in there, but... And it summed up the situation for me. Like, sure, it's... Maybe it's, um punching down or fucking shooting you know fish in a barrel or whatever because I've never been a Robbie Williams fan so obviously Robbie Williams fans can go can go well you shouldn't have been there but you know as well as I do that's the job of a newspaper reporter and I even even in my era I covered like um, you know stand-up comedy, sound collages, dance things, the the sort of light classical that the stuffy purist classical reviewers wouldn't touch. They wanted to be offered at first, but they wanted mm. to, you know, they'll, they'll always turn down reviewing Hayley Westenra, but they'll be insulted if they're not asked to do it. They want yeah, to turn yeah. it in, so then I, Muggins turns up and does it for them. Yeah. And uh, and so, you know, you, you turn up and you cover what's there and you do a bit of research if you need to and you've already done it your whole life because you're a fan of yeah and you try to see what the people are seeing and hearing the ones yeah. that aren't you because like you know sometimes it's a mystery yeah and you know those acts that i've seen live i thought i don't like billy joel you know actually i don't like um phil collins say yeah, yeah. But then you see a live show and you think, Jesus, Billy yeah. Joel does a bloody good show. I don't I like many Phil, of the songs or anything. I bet in his day, anyway, Phil Collins put on a good live show. I mean, I know... There was did. a period where he's working like with a big, almost yeah. like an Ike and Tina Turner review yeah. thing. And he's yeah. actually, like, I'd never buy a record or anything. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes It's cool that, though, eh? Sometimes going to a show by a person you... I, I, oh, yeah, that's actually the that's best. Totally. Like, uh, and I, I've got some really weird, cheesy ones, like Nana Muscuri. Oh, yeah. Saw Nana Muscuri about twelve years ago. Didn't didn't stay for the whole thing, but fucking mind blowing. Like she just and uh, even um, last year seeing Engelbert Humperdinck at eighty, he had something. You know, his guy's been simply doing it so long. But he never had to try too hard. That was the no, thing that's about true. Style. Totally, but still, he was he yeah. he at eighty was better than Robbie Williams at forty five. He's got something though. Like he's, yeah. it's like he's from Ruatoria or something. Yeah, you know, something about him. Yeah. He makes me think of, you know, some of my old heroes like Tui Tika. Yeah. You know, those guys who just yeah. the, I love that. Yeah, I love Tui Tika. And I knew him and I just loved his whole thing. Wow. So where's this band of yours? It's always falling apart. You know, like that bass player's not too good. Who was that? Kitty Stories, my nephew. <laughs> yes. I was, I was, I was, I was,
he's not too good at the bases. He said, no, I taught him. Yeah. And I said, well, what's his toy? He said, well, he only joined last week. He said, the last guy got too slick, so I kicked him out. <laughs> And I said, hey, boy, what are you doing? And I taught him a bit of bass, and, but that was his thing. Keep it yeah. simple, keep it... Yeah, I was going to say, didn't he? He taught quite a few of the members of the band there. He could play Because he could play everything, too. yeah. Yeah, yeah, he could um, play drums, he could play. Yeah. I met, I met, I uh, can't remember his name, but I met one of the Mary Volcanics drummers when I was playing in a covers band years ago. And the guy came up talking to me about playing drums. He said, oh, I used to play with... Uh, he goes, oh, I'll be before your time, but I used to play with Tui Tekka. I said, oh, I love Tui Tekka. I grew up listening to that stuff. Um, you know, my folks used to go and see him. And he's like, oh, I was on the Mary Volcanics too. And, you know, but he said, um, yeah, oh, I was a rubbish drummer. And Tui kind of actually showed me heaps of stuff. You know, and that's how he got better. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah, the main thing is the cymbal crash after one of Tui's terrible... Yeah, the jokes. <laughs> but, you know, and Billy... T. James and yeah. yeah, and I knew Howard Morrison real well. Uncle Howard, I used yeah. to call him. Yeah, but you know that thing they got that you can't put your finger on. It's and it's it's not just a New Zealand thing. It's something universal, you know. Yeah, I agree. See, there's goodness. a there's a book for you, like writing a sort of like a bunch of essays about those kinds of people. Yeah. I've thought about that. I just can't. I, I think about that all the time. I can't but, find a focus but you have, on it. You are not only uh, a, a superior writer. You have the uh, you have the um, you know the actual evidence from the time. Like you have the encounters. You have the full context. The dodgy memories. Well, They're the best ones. And, and, go, I think an unauthorized book of essays. Yeah, I'll tell you. I'll just put it in. Tell you it's funny. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe it's funny about Howard Morrison. We were sort of friendly well, we weren't always friendly we had a huge fight one night but he thought I said something racist and he misheard me or something but anyway we were sort of matey yeah and um sort of years went by and I got a pro I got rang up by this advertising no I got rang up by a publisher and they said um we want you to do an autobiography of Howard Morrison I said Howard Morrison and they said yeah I said why me I said, oh, how I want you to do it. Yeah. I said, well, that's odd. I said, why? I said, oh, there's this book of yours he really loves. And I said, what book? And they said, Angel Gear. I said, Howard <laughs> Morrison loves Angel Gear. And they said, yeah. And I said, and he wants me to write a book like that about him. And I said, well, I don't know, you should talk to him. So I talked to Howard and I thought, this ain't gonna work because Howard, you know, there's Howard's way and then there's the truth, you know. And I mean, not criticising or anything, yeah. it's just the way he was. So I, I didn't do it, and some other guy did it, and it was a pretty dull sort of a book. And then a few years went by, I get a ring from an ad agency, and they said, Oh, we want you to write an ad for Big Pens. Oh, I said, What? What? Or why? And they said, Well, our client wants you to write it. And I said, who's your client? And I said, Howard Morrison. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And they said, he seems to love you, you know. And I said, well, he does, doesn't he? And I, so I ended up writing this ad for Big Pens. And I also had this kooky idea about how I really felt that Howard should be the next Governor General. Yeah. So I wrote this ad where he snuck into the Governor General's office. You know, he was a cleaner, he yeah. was a Maori cleaner, and he's playing with the pens on that we worked something out yeah. with that. So I actually got to write a. Anyway, a few years go by, and I get another call from someone, and it goes, Oh, 
we're doing this, uh, you know, this three-hour special on the life of Howard Morrison. I said, oh, don't tell me. And they said, what? And I said, you want me to write it? And they said, yeah. How did you know? I said, oh, you know, me and Howard. <laughs> so anyway, I spent bloody weeks and weeks writing the script. I kept saying to them, how's Howard going to read this? Is it going to be voiceover? I said, no, it's, we thought auto-cue. And I said, I don't know. I don't think Howard will do auto-cue for you. And they said, I oh, just do the script. Anyway, I wrote the script. They paid me, like, magnificent money, like tens of thousands. And um, he couldn't do the auto-cue. He couldn't do the script. He didn't use the script. He took bits out of the script and used them all out of context. And it was awful. The whole show was just absolutely <laughs> awful. And at the end, they gave him this huge fucking writing credit. Which you did what? damn thing, which I didn't even... <laughs> so, just the money and Howard. <laughs> Oh man, hey, it was. it's been um, it's been awesome talking to you for for oh, so goodness. long about so many Sorry, things. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk so long. No, 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 no. This is this is about this is pretty yeah. short by my standards. Oh, okay. They go for a while. No, I didn't even get to Spike Milligan, but there you are. Uh, well, we'll catch up when the book comes out. You can tell yeah, me yeah, about Spike. Yeah, yeah, of the season when love runs high in this time. Give it to me easy. Let me try with pleasured hands to take you in the sun. To-